Welcome to the Masterminds Podcast Channel, brought to you by DonorSearch, a leader in prospect research tools and analytics, and your host, one of America's top philanthropic experts and fundraising consultants, Jay Frost. Vice President and Senior Consultant at American City Bureau, is committed to helping others achieve their hopes and dreams, whether it's individuals, teams, or organizations. Over the last three decades, he's worked overseas with NGOs, served as president of an independent school, and guided numerous nonprofits through his post at the nation's oldest fundraising consultancy. He's been developing a philosophy that successful leaders, as he says, strive to align all available human, financial, and physical resources of an organization with its mission and the strategic priorities of that mission. We caught up with Bob to talk with him about his work and philosophy at his office in Chicago. <laughs> Hi, Bob. Thanks very much for being with us today. I'm glad to join you again. Thanks. <laughs> are you in Chicago or are you out on the road? I am in Chicago. I, uh, I have a couple days here before I hit the road on Wednesday. Is that a typical week for you? Are you out a lot? Uh, I probably travel to clients about half my time. Um, mm -hmm. And then varies month to month how intense that is. And is that all throughout the country? Uh, my client, I, I carry, oh, maybe anywhere from five to seven clients at a time. Um, so uh, I tend to go back to those same places over a number of months. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been going to Nashville and Jackson, Mississippi and Cleveland, Ohio, and um, I have been getting to go to Big Sur, California. That's that's not too bad a, a gig. <laughs> well, all those places sound pretty nice, but Big Sur is spectacular. What yeah. what kind of projects, what, what kind of uh, things do you work on out there? Oh, in, uh, I'm working with a, a group of um, monks that are high in the mountains overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Um, and if you're ever in the neighborhood, the uh, new Kamaldalee's Hermitage uh, along the coast of Big Sur is a wonderful place to visit. So um, stop by as you go down Highway 1 along the, the coast. Wow, yeah, that, that does sound uh, pretty amazing. Uh, a great place to meditate for sure. It is, and, and when, uh, when I'm there working with them, it is, uh, it, you are, I'm cut off. I have no cell phone, no uh, internet. Um, it is just there to work with them on their, um, their projects, um, just to sort of renew, um, renew their, their 60 year old buildings, <clears throat> but they also want to go um, entirely solar. So they want to convert. Really? Yeah, they want to. Um, really honor the earth and respect creation, and you know these these are the <laughs> these are the the kinds of organizations and people that I get to work with who have really big dreams and and who really want to make a difference um, in the world and <clears throat> it's just um, I'm very lucky. I'm I'm so curious about. Uh, that being disconnected, but also 
of course, being very productive. If, if we had this conversation 60 years ago, we would not be holding this conversation on the internet. We would not be communicating with one another by email, probably. Um, all these things that we use now in development are not the tools we would have used then. And if they are uh, somewhat disconnected by intention, um, that must both be uh, uh, challenging but also liberating. It, it focuses them um, in, and makes, uh, I guess it forces them to be very intentional about um, their means of communication uh, and, um, and how to get the word out about this place. So they, their income, they have a retreat center. So they can welcome people for who come for a day or two or a week um, and um, just enjoy the silence and the, the, the contemplative nature of, of um, not only the physical space, but the, um, the spiritual space that the monks create there. And I think most of that, um, those visitors, it's probably word of mouth, just like mm -hmm. kind of old days. It's, they tell friends about their experience there, and and you know, they certainly do mailings, and they they have an online presence, and you can they have a gift shop that you can buy things online from. So, you know, they're not, but the day to day is is um they they stay focused on their primary work, which is to meditate and pray and and welcome visitors. I wonder as you've been experiencing this, working with them, if there's anything from that that engagement that you take with you when now you work with, with other clients or work with other nonprofits that are trying to riddle through how best to communicate internally and externally, um, both effectively, but also meaningfully uh, with, with people who support their work. I think that's a good, I, that is a very good question. And I think the insight um, is that each organization has to be true to itself. Um, and um, there's probably no better example of that than uh, the Kamaldolese monks. And the, in, the lesson, hopefully, that is learned is in being true to yourself, you then begin to tell others who you are, what you're about, what your hopes and dreams are. And that can be anything. It can be serving the poor. It could be an arts organization. Um, and when an organization starts to stray from that core mission and starts chasing the donor, um, mm. think things start going awry. And so right. the, the the chasing of the money, um, uh, I had, um, um, I, I spent two years in the Philippines um, working in the nonprofit or the NGO world. And that's really where I became really interested in the role of nonprofits in social development. And mm. um, one of the, the things I was studying there was how uh, these NGOs really addressing serious poverty issues in the Philippines, and this is in the years post Marcos, uh, that um, they, would, they would start chasing foundation money and they would start um, kind of a, adapting their mission to meet the, the funding priorities or the guidelines of a foundation. 
And then that would come back to haunt them because then the foundation would give them a grant and then all of a sudden they had to adjust their mission to meet the um, to meet those uh, funding guidelines. And the foundations didn't want that to happen. It wasn't that they were trying to uh, usurp the, the mission of that, that organization. But it's just an example of just be honest who you are um, and honestly explain to people what it is that you do and invite people then to participate with you in doing something wonderful um, in the world through your organization. This is also a debate currently, isn't it, about um, people call it donor-centric uh, activity. Um, if we should be listening more or less to donors, focused more or um, less on, uh, on our work, and then inviting people to participate or focus on what the donor wants, uh, are those two things necessarily at odds? Or is there a way to make sure that we're um, both true to our mission but also um, respectful of and perhaps truly interested in donor intent. Oh, absolutely. And it is and it is that step of of finding the, the interest of of um, of that donor and how it connects back to your organization. You know, one of the things that um, in our work with donor search is that it, in doing a um, a wealth screen that really what I think the affinity, uh, you have to pay attention to the affinity of the person. Is this person connected to you or other like organizations that you might make a connection to? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not just a, a person's capacity, but it's a, it's their, their interest level in, in what you are doing. And so in development, you know, you want to, you want to spend time um, pursuing um, those efforts that are gonna have what we would call um, a rate of return. Um, what is the investment of time um, in, a, in a particular program or an event or a mailing or um, a campaign? And, and, who, and to whom do we go? And does it have a high likelihood that there is going to, that this is a good use of my time? Um, and especially in major gifts campaigns, as I tell, um, a lot of those I work with, you know, spending time, and I don't mean, I don't mean it's not nice to spend time with a person who might give you $500, but the time you spend with that person is the exact same amount of time that you are, you might spend with someone who can make a major gift. Um, where is the, there's only so many hours in a day, where do you spend your time and to what effect and, and how, how does that use of time move your mission? That's such a challenge, isn't it? I, I, I wonder how, how we can balance those things because of course we care about all the people who, have, who share an interest in this mission that we pursue. Um, but you're right, there's only so much time and if we don't have those resources, we can't fulfill the mission. How do you balance those things? I, uh, I just spent Friday um, working with a uh, institutional advancement team uh, for an all-day retreat, and that was exactly the question: um, How do we take a look at all our constituents that we want to be in touch with, and whether they are donors or not? So it's a school, and so they have um, 
you know, you want to stay in touch with your alums, your your past parents, even grandparents. Uh, but what we what I was trying to lead them to is you can do all those things. You just can't have everybody doing everything. So the division of labor, if you're in an organization of only one or one and a half development staff, there's only so much that that can be done. And, and a lot of it tends to be getting the magazine out, getting the mailings out, um, may throw an event or two. And so there is no time for saying, oh, I think I'll go visit, you know, uh, Jane Smith um, for the morning. Um, and have coffee with her. And uh, even if um, there's gonna be no request for support, sometimes an executive will look at that and say, that was a waste of time. You say, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a cultivation visit. But as your mm -hmm. staff grows, you can, you can um, specify or, or you can uh, become kind of uh, delegate certain responsibilities for certain donor levels um, to a staff person. So um, it is a challenge and it all depends on how big your organization and team is. Yes, that, that, sounds, that sounds right. It also sounds like a good argument for collaboration between various parts of the organization that um, it, it's not just about development clearly, especially if you have one and a half people, so to speak, but, but for everyone else there. And, and this must be something you know so well, not just from your work with American City Bureau as a consultant to all these different places, but but also your your background in education because um, you you come from uh, among other things working at a school is that right? Yes, and and um, one of the things I um, had to address pretty early when I was president um, of Creighton Prep in Omaha was um, recreating a a the welcome, the reception area. Uh, when I got there, it was um, sort of the receptionist under glass. There were these big glass windows that she would open and close as people came. And I said, this is not welcoming. This is not what we want. <laughs> so we brought that desk out into the lobby and, and realized in the training of the new person, uh, the new receptionist, you are a primary development officer. Everybody mm. walks through the door is gonna have a first impression um, or you're gonna make or break their day by the way right. you greet them and treat them. Um, and, it, and the person really felt empowered, felt included, felt engaged with the very mission. It wasn't answering the phone and directing people to an office. It was welcome. We are so happy you are here. This is something that's also been um, uh, impacted by everything from culture to technology. There are many places now where it doesn't seem like there's the reception desk, so to speak, or right. the welcome area. And I wonder, as you work with people, how you're making them aware of that, kind of re revisiting that idea about creating a space where people can feel like they're becoming a part of something and not just contributing to something. Yeah, I, I, that's a good question, and, and uh, each organization has to allocate its resources um, to the best of their ability. My focus tends to be on those who are delivering the service or the product. Um, the product being, as we said in the, the webinar, the, the product, as Peter Drucker says, is, is a changed human being. And so the teacher 
who's working with a parent uh, during a difficult time of, of maybe a, the student is struggling, whether it's um, the delivery of in, in a, a volunteer who is um, serving at a homeless shelter and, and volunteering to cook dinner for that evening. Um, each of those people um, are delivering not just the service, but they are delivering the mission. And for them to understand, and, and not just to expect them to understand, um, just sort of an innately, but to take time with them and to say, well, we can't be everywhere, the development staff, but as you engage a parent or a client or those receiving um, your service, um, please know that you, you speak for us and you represent the whole organization. And so to carry those values and, and um, one of the worst things that um, uh, I was working with one client a, a number of years ago and uh, um, one of the staff was approached by a, a donor and, um, and the donor said, oh, I, I, hear, uh, I hear you're looking to expand. And the, the staffer says, I don't know, nobody ever tells me anything. Uh, I don't know. I, I, it was a complete disconnect, and it really put the donor off um, and said, what? what? What is going on here? Um, and so that staff person just felt out of the loop. And so in the conversation, expressed that frustration of not knowing uh, what was going on, or maybe the person was frustrated with the way the organization was going. But in any, in any case, it left a very um, negative impression with that donor. Wow. Um, I guess in, in every way and every place and organization, we're kind of on the front lines of um, making sure people understand what we're about, what's happening, so they feel comfortable being yes. a part of it. Um, maybe that's, it goes back to that, that idea. I love that Peter Drucker line about the changed human being. Um, and I know that at some level, maybe that's what all of the organizations are trying to do is to make things better and brighter for whomever they're serving. Um, as you're looking forward and taking your experience with the firm, your experience in education, your experience overseas, and, and you're applying that to new opportunities, are you, are you finding that the landscape is changing, that people are receptive to those ideas about um, creating greater uh, communication participation among donors and and the institutions, and that that the leadership of these organizations is willing to engage in that way. Uh, there, it is changing. Um, the landscape is changing, and it has. Um, I guess I kind of, I guess I got into this <clears throat> world a little more specifically, probably in the late '80s, um, and certainly as I went in in the early 90s, went into graduate school to really refine that when I went to the Humphrey School at, at the University of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. But I think what has happened is the proliferation of the nonprofit world has, uh, as you know, we all get enormous amounts of, of mail and appeal, direct, uh, direct mail uh, appeals. Um, what I have uh, focused on and what ACB really focuses on it um, 
are those relationships, um, the donor helping organizations have relationships. And we see a lot of, of correlation between um, when someone feels engaged in the organization or, and especially if they volunteer, um, that's a sign of their investment in your organization and in that mission. And as that person deepens his or her connection to the organization and, and the mission, um, they want to protect that investment. So they are going to, when the time comes, either in an annual gift or a major gift campaign or a capital campaign, or maybe even a planned gift, um, they are going to uh, protect that investment of their time by supporting financially that organization. Um, and I think we talked about uh, in a different setting, the, the need and the want of people to know that what they do is making a difference. So there, this impact giving, I think it will continue to be um, a trend in, um, in the research and in the experience of, of the nonprofit world. And speaking more personally then, you've been in a bunch of different places and done lots of different things. What, um, what's driving you? What's, what's the, uh, the thing that you know, gets you up in the morning and out there to be one of those people making that change? That's a, um, it's a very key question. Uh, I grew up in a family where um, that was really value-based. It was a faith-based uh, family. Um, we sat around the dinner table and talked about how we make a difference. What did we do today that helped somebody? Um, you know, I look around and, and you know, the, the joy I get in my life is whether I was uh, teaching um, sophomores history or whether it was um, living in a squatter area in the outskirts of Manila or working as a, a president of a, a high school um, and now as a consultant, I just want to know how can I how can I help you? What can I do to help you be a better organization, to be a better person, and and also to have the humility to be able to say, if I am not the right person to do this, just tell me, and and because your mission, your organization is is more important than what than me or what I can bring. And if you need somebody else to do this, or if I'm getting in the way, then please just tell me. Um, because um, my goal and my hope is, is to make a difference in the world by making a difference in your organization. Thank you so much, Bob. That was wonderful. Um, and we'll probably, you know, cut it right there and then end it. So thank you so much. Really, really appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the chance to visit and and um, to talk about the why. Uh, I think yes. that's key. It's the why, not the what I do. It's the why I do it. So thanks for asking that question. Oh, no. Thank you so much for the answer. It was great to have a window on what drives you. What, where were you working in the Philippines? What organization were you with? <clears throat> I was working um, with the, the Jesuits who run um, several universities over there. So I was, <clears throat> I was attached to um, 
I was working from the Ateneo de Manila, and then um, and from there they had a social outreach to the the urban poor, um, and uh, so I really immersed myself. And um, my Tagalog isn't as good as it used to be, but I did learn the language uh, well and en well enough to get by. But uh, that's that's fabulous. I'm I'm uh, I'm so impressed. Um, I mean, on so many levels, not just the Tagalog, uh, that you <laughs> you committed the time. <laughs> And that energy and that soul to that work, that's just really, really something. I'm sure it still, you know, it stays with you every day. It does indeed.